Amen. Grab a Bible, if you would, and make your way this morning to the book of 1 John, and we're going to be in chapter 4 this morning. 1 John chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles around you and chairs in front of you. You can grab one of those, and the page number would be right there on the screen. You're welcome to open it up in an app if that works better for you, but one way or another, we're hoping and inviting you to have the Word of God in front of you. Sunday mornings, we're waking our way verse by verse through the book of 1 John, and we just want to connect into what's there, and just knowing that God's Word would be that that would land and open to you all that He would have. So once more, just inviting you to that. But if you're in the overflow or online, hear that invitation very specifically. Just because you're there, we know that there's still the place that God so wants to connect with you, and one of the things that would make that helpful is to have the Bible open before you so that you could follow along with us. May God just invite you into that as we do as well. So with that as an aim, I want to lead you in prayer and invite you to pray as well, that you would ask God just to speak to you, that you'd ask God to make his word known to you this morning, that you would be able to hear what he has for you, and and that that would work into your life, uh, the thing that he is seeking uh, to do in that. So let's each go to him right now and ask him that he would give us help and draw us to that. Father, thank you for your word. I think about what you tell us, that your word doesn't return to you void. It accomplishes the purpose for which you sent it. And in a simple way then, Lord, I'm asking that we would understand the purpose for which you sent it, that it would be right there, that your word would connect with our lives this morning and what you have intended this section to speak to us. It would speak loudly to us. Lord, you know us. You know where we are, uh, each of us in different spaces, and so give us understanding where we are. But then cause your word to work transformation where we are changing us and bringing us into the life that you have for us. God, in your faithfulness, would you work that now? Holy Spirit, would you teach us, as it was promised to us that you would, give us ears to hear what you're saying. We ask for that together as we submit this time to you. We do so in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, which one really did come first, the chicken or the egg? Oh, you hear me even say that. And right off the bat, when I say this, can we ask a different question? Are there really such things as dumb questions? Um, okay, maybe they're not. Maybe it's okay to ask questions, but let's ask it in a different way. There are some questions that have no huge consequence to them. Uh, you know, like really the chicken and the egg, it's not going to change the way you spend the rest of your week. It's not going to affect your life in huge ways. And there are some questions that are just that way, that at the end of the day, they don't find themselves hugely important. But then there are other questions. And sometimes the question of which came first really is a life-giving question. The kind of life-giving question that could change your world. It could change your life. Well, what question am I talking about? Well, here's the question. Which came first, us loving God or God loving us? Which came first, us loving God or God loving us? Well, absolutely, 100%, we know the answer to that. It began with God loving us. That's exactly what God tells us in our section this morning. Why don't you notice it with me there? 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, he says it this way, We love him because he first loved us. Yeah, that's the weight. That's the wonder that we come into this morning that, that he loved us first, that we love in response to that. Now, quick FYI, just a very quick technical moment, because we actually talked about it in a previous study. You might have a different translation of the scriptures this morning, and for some of you, you have it saying it a little bit differently. Some translations, like the New King James that I just read you, says we love him because he first loved us. Other translations say we love because he first loved us. And there's a little bit of variant in some of the the original Greek manuscripts in this. Instead of spending any more time on that, I'll simply tell you, you know, in this section, it's six one half dozen of the other because we're talking about both. We're going to see the connection that's there, that when we think about our love towards God and towards others, it comes from the love that first of all comes from him. So I want to draw you to that. Instead of just thinking, I just want to draw you to this understanding that we're invited to see that God loves us first. Now, when I think about that, 
and what it looks like. I want to use a graphic. I use graphics. I tend to think in pictures, and so uh, a lot of times I use graphics for you guys. And the problem is when you have to explain your graphics, it's probably not overly helpful. But I'm going to explain all my graphics this morning because I have like three different ones for you. Let me begin with this one. This is like a Wi-Fi signal. Most of you recognize this on your phone or our computer. But the way I kind of built it is this, is I want to make sure you see God as the source. Like God is the source of it, and everything else radiates from that. So when you read this graphic, start at the God and then move your way up. So it's God loves us, we love God and people. But the we love and God and people flows out of the source that begins with God loving us. That, that it is a place where God is working that in us. So again, the origin of that, the center of that, is this place where we know that God loves us. Or as he says it in the text, he loved us first. First is first in time, that he loved us before we loved him. Uh, he loved us before time began. He loved us uh, when there was nothing inside of us lovable. That it would tell us in Romans, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we were alien, when we, there was nothing good there, he loved us, and he loved us not in response to our love. He loved us first. Now, this shows us, again, both the, 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 the priority of that, that it's first, that it's creative, but in many ways it invites us to see not just first in the weight of time, but first in the weight of importance and weight and strength, or we'll just say it this way, his love is perfect, that his love is that which is massively beyond us. I think about a passage that's given to us in the book of Ephesians when Paul is praying for the church there, and he says he's praying for us being rooted and grounded in love. And so simply pause there. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are born into God's love. You are grounded in it, you are rooted in it, but you need more. He says, though you're rooted and grounded in love, he's praying that we may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. It's bigger than anything you've ever comprehended. It's bigger than anything you've ever understood. In fact, you never will fully comprehend it in this life for certain. And maybe in all eternity, it'll still be being unpacked to us. That's kind of important. Because here's the deal. We talk about loving God, and we talk about God loving us first. It's possible that you hear that as kind of like ABCs. Kind of like, well, yeah, that's what you teach the kids in kindergarten. Like, that's what you teach them in the Sunday school. Jesus loves me, this I know. You know, before the Bible tells me so, that's great. Now let's move on to the bigger things, to the you know, more weighty Christian things. And I just want to tell you there are no more weighty Christian things. I mean, this is the love of God. This is the love of God in Christ, and it is bigger and more vast and more beautiful and more powerful than anybody in this room has ever comprehended, and yet we need to know it more. We need to understand what it is. Now, in fact, I think about this. We've been talking about this for a little bit of time. If you've been with us so far in 1 John, you might hear what I'm saying right now, and you might be thinking, rightly so, haven't we already talked about this? Well, that's the way 1 John works. John, 1 John isn't like this building on you know, one line upon the other. It moves in circles. And so we've been talking about this connectedness all the way since chapter 1. And so we've moved to it, we've come back, we've left it, we've come back, talking about what God's love is, talking about how that love is meant to be being expressed in our lives. But if you're tracking with that, we really begin to pull that to a close. We're moving into the last chapter of First uh, John this morning, and really today, maybe a tiny bit next week, but really today kind of lands this discussion, this talk that we've been having about God's love, both seeing it, knowing it, and having it work inside of us. In fact, I think about that. We just did so a couple weeks ago, and you might want to just look back, or I'll put it on the screen as well. Back in the previous chapter, in chapter 4, verse 9, he invited us to see it. He said, in this, the love of God was manifested toward us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. He says, here's how you can see it. In this, God's love is manifest. And the word manifest has the idea of seen or the place that you can understand, or you can see God's love for us. He gave us his son. He gave us his son. That Jesus being given to us into this world to bring us life is the full expression of the love of God. It's where it's found. That, you know, it tells us that you know, the, the, the weight of that's there. So if we're wanting to understand it, we think about communion this morning. Thinking about God giving us Jesus 
That's love. That's the love of God expressed. That's the power of the love of God and even the location where we find it expressed. In fact, he'll keep saying it in the next verse, in verse 10. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation has the idea of dealing with that which had us alienated from God and bringing us fully into his favor. So we've not only had our, our the, the sins that held us back taken care of, that in Christ he brings us fully into him. He says, here's where it is. It's not about you. It's not your love that's the focus here. It's his love. Because it's the first. It's what brings that. It's what does that. It's what accomplishes that. So when we think about this idea of God's love, it's first, it's perfect, but our love then becomes responsive. That true Christian love, the real thing, the thing that God wants to have happen in our life is not something we originate. It's not something we create. It's something He does. It's something that we have in response to that. In fact, in just a little bit, we're going to close the service and we'll sing a song that we've been singing every now and then. And one of my favorite lyrics in it that catch me every time uh, in that song, All I Have is Christ, is the one that says, you know, I had no hope that you would own a rebel to your will. And then we sing, and if you had not loved me first, I would refuse you still. Can I simply tell you it's true? If it wasn't him loving us first, we never would have had hope. Never would he have sent Christ. Never would the love that God is even looking for even be possible outside of what begins with him. There's a, there's a wonderful humility here where we come and say, okay, God, your love is first. Your love is the creative part. Your love is the power. Your love is the one that accomplishes that. Or we might even say it differently. It's the fuel. It's the thing that causes it. That the love that we are supposed to have can only exist where it's fueled by his love, where his love is the one that's bringing that to pass. That's essential. In fact, that's something we need to talk about more. But for just a moment, let's set that to the side. So God's love is first. God's love is the primary. God's love is the thing that he has for us. But from that, he tells us more things. So notice it with me again there in the text. Picking it up in verse 19, what we just covered. We love him because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this is the commandment that we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. So he begins to unpack this for us. We see that God loves us first, but now he highlights one of the things that's really important for us to understand, that loving God is fully connected to the place that he is calling us to love people. That's what we need to think about this morning. So once more, let me explain my silly graphic. So my graphic here, it's obviously, it's a speedometer. It's meant to be that. Kind of this place that's in this there, and we notice on the needle right here, it's got this place of God and people. Now, I've got to be honest. I thought about trying to create it differently, um, because in some ways, it would work better if I did, so let me just explain it. You guys know how it works. Probably you have one. You get there, if you have one of those speedometers in your car that's like this, you could look at the whole thing, and some of yours has, you know, both miles per hour and, and kilometers per hour, right? So you would look at it and say, well, you know, it just kind of depends whether you're reading it, you know, in, in the metric system or you're reading it in the standard system, you know, in the midst of the whole thing. In some ways, that's what I want you to understand. Because what he's telling us is that these two are connected. So wherever one of these are, the other one is. Wherever one of these are, the, the other one is, is locked in there. These move together. These move in power together. In fact, they cannot move really separately. They cannot move separately. Now, that's important for us. But I found myself thinking about even how to say that, and God just says it better than I can say it. So notice it with me one more time, just at the beginning of uh, verse 20 there. He says, if someone says, I love God, and he hates his brother, he is a liar. Pause right there, and just let that just roll over you for a moment. I mean, that's just really well said, but it's kind of an in-your-face said. I mean, I thought about even kind of putting our headline there, just saying, if you say you love God and you hate people, you're a liar. I mean, that's exactly what God just said. You're lying. You are lying because it cannot happen. 
It's an impossibility for it to be that way. You're lying. Who are you lying to? Well, maybe to other people. Maybe you're lying to God, but you're certainly lying to yourself. And yet that becomes part of the problem. There is this space because there are people that will sit there. And they'll sit there in church on a Sunday morning and they'll say, I love God. I do. I mean, I love God. I just hate people. You know, just, I don't like anybody. I don't like, I don't like people. I, I don't, I don't, I'm not interested in them. I don't care about them. I don't like any people or specifically, let's be really clear. It's talking about God's people. Now, it certainly would go beyond that. When we think about Jesus telling us to love the world, we are to love the world. But here in this section, in fact, in 1 John, when he's talking about love, he's talking very specifically about the love that we have in the body of Christ, the connection we have as the body of Christ. And he wants us to understand that that love is connected to the love of God, that these two things are so intricately connected that you actually can't separate them from one another. Now, I'm saying that, but for some of you, again, if you've been with us in 1 John, you're like, well, Jim, you already said that. In fact, we've said it a number of times. In fact, it was really early. Right at the very outset of our study in 1 John, we talked about this. Some of you might remember it begins in chapter 1, inviting us into a place of fellowship, into a place of having what the Bible calls fellowship, which is the Greek word koinonia, which could be translated union or communion. It's connection. It's life. It's this place of participation that ultimately is an expression of love, the agape love of God. And and at the very outset, he invited us to it and tells it to us this way in verse 4, and sorry, verse 3 in chapter 1. He says, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So just reminding you of what we've already seen, we said at that very outset, the beginning of this letter says, I want to tell you about Jesus. I want to tell you about Jesus, the one that we see, that we know, that we are eyewitnesses of, because that relationship with Jesus has brought us into fellowship with God. And we want you to have fellowship with God. But if you have fellowship with God, you gain a byproduct with that. You gain fellowship with us. You become a part of the body of Christ so that if we have fellowship with him, you can also have this fellowship with us. And so we talked about what that would look like, this place of koinonia, this place of this connection, this beautiful place. And back there, some of you will remember, in chapter 1, we pictured it even thinking about the cross, that you could think about the, the cross and even almost imagine, you know, the word koinonia written all the way around it, that the word koinonia, this idea of fellowship, is what the cross brings, and it brings it connectedly. So we have this vertical relationship that the cross brings us into, a vertical relationship where we love God in Christ, where we're brought into the love of God in Christ, where we're brought into a connection with God in Christ. But at the same moment, it connects us with God's people. At the same moment, because it's life and because of who we are, we find ourselves in this amazing connection that is connected in this. You can't have part of this without having the other. Once more, just to show it to you, this was the slide that we used on that Sunday, and we said it this way. We said that this is fellowship with God, fellowship with people. Those are unified together, loving God and people. You cannot have one without the other. You cannot have one without the other. So we have talked about that. That was back in chapter 1 that we talked about it, and I just want to draw your attention again. He is just restating the same thing different words, different spaces, and he's telling us this, that you can't have one without the other. In fact, he gives it to us this way by helping us understand it. Notice it again in verse 20. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. (laughs) For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? In many ways, he helps us understand that this place of loving God and loving people, it is maybe best visible in loving people. It's maybe best visible in that. See, we we have this relationship with God, but it's an invisible relationship, right? Go back up to chapter 4, verse 12. It says, no one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. So let's ask the question differently. So which one's harder? Is it harder to love God or is it harder to love people? Is it harder to love God or is it harder to love people? Honestly, your answer to that probably has a lot more to do with you and and kind of your own experiences. 
the, the biblical answer is they, is they flow together. It, it, they, they flow in both spaces. So let's ask the question better. How do you know the love of, that you're in better? Is it easier to see the love in loving God, or is it easier to see the love in loving people? And what John wants to tell us, what God is telling us, is it's more recognizable in the love that you have for people. Track with me for a moment, because see, here's the problem. God's invisible. You can't see him. And so it's actually easy to create an imaginary relationship with God. It's actually easy to think that you and God are doing fine when actually it's only your own kind of personification of God. You loving what you want God to be. You loving what do you think he is. You loving yourself in some ways. That's an actually really easy thing to do. You could actually fake that. And, and the problem is that you might not even realize you're faking it. You might think you do. And so you could actually sit in church and go, I really love God. And then God asks you, but do you love people? No, I don't love people. I don't, I don't love them. And God says, well, you don't love me then. You don't love me because you can't have one without the other. That your love for people and specifically God's people is an easier representation of where you are. So if you're going to imagine this again as a speedometer, it's almost as if you could say, okay, if you're trying to figure out how fast you're going or how good it's going, trying to recognize that place of God can actually be hard to lock down. It's a less visible number, if you will. Loving people is pretty visible. Like, that one's hard to fake, right? I mean, you guys know the story, right? To dwell above with saints we love, oh, that's going to be glory. To dwell below with saints we know, that's another story, you know? I mean, it's like, it's like, it's just, because like, you, you see people, like, you're with them, and somehow that, that's just hard to fake. I mean, that's just, it's, it's more visible, but that's where you can really determine where it is. See, if I were to ask you, so how are you and God doing? I mean, how well are you doing with God? It might really be easy to go, oh, I'm doing really well. I'm doing really, I think I'm, I think I'm doing pretty good. I think I am. And then I asked you, so how are you doing? You know, love, loving people. And I went, well, you know, <laughs> that one's, I'm working on that one a little bit. You know, just, just a little, you know, those people are just, and, and here's what God's saying. No, that's actually where you are. You know, that's actually where you are. Wherever, wherever the love of people is, that's how well you're doing loving God. Because these two things, they, they cannot be separated. In fact, they're commanded at the same space. Again, that's what he says, but I just want you to see it in the text. Just for context, verse 20, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. Okay, quick technical thing. Just might be helpful, but it's a little bit, it makes the text just a little bit more. Some of you have heard me explain this before. If you have the New King James Version Bible before you, you might just notice there in verse 21, the word must is in italics. What does that mean? Well, simply put, the Bible wasn't originally written in the English language. It was written in the Greek language in the New Testament, Hebrew and the Old. When it was being translated into the English language, it just doesn't always work really well. Sometimes sentence structures in the Greek are a little bit clunky in the English, and so when it was so, sometimes they added a word, a word that helped the sentence structure to flow in an English way, but were not actually in the text. And so what I like about the New King James Version is whenever they did it, they put it in italics. So you would read it and go, that's not actually there. That's not actually there. Secondly, just notice also as it says it there in verse 21, the last part of it says love his brother. The word love is actually in the plural, so it's better translated loves. So let's read it that way. Notice if we read verse 21 that way. It says in this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God loves his brother also. He who loves God loves his brother also. It's not like well, you love God, now you're going to have to work on. It's like, if you love God, you also love your brother. They are intricately connected. Jesus spoke them connectedly. When he was being asked, you know, what's the greatest commandment? He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. This is the most important thing that God has for you. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the idea of like it has the idea, again, of connectedness. It's not like, well, hey, once you get number one done, you can work on number two. It's like, no, the second is connected to it. 
The second is a part of it, that you have one, you have the others. And so there is a sense that one of the things that's locking down for us right now is these aren't separated. It can't be so. It can't be separated. You can't separate where that is, that there is this love of God and loving people, specifically God's people, that are so wonderfully and powerfully connected. And John has just been pounding that on us since the beginning of this letter, and I hope you're hearing it. Well, with that in mind, he actually adds one other nugget to it, and so let's just go back to it, and then we'll come back and just think about these things a little bit deeper. Go with me down to verse 1 of chapter 5. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. So we'll use a different graphic. We'll kind of say it this way, that if you're born of God, then you love those who are also born of God. You love the begotten. So what's my silly graphic? Okay, if you happen to see like a river running down the middle of it, that's not what it is. I, I kind of recognize it's an egg, okay? It's supposed to be like an egg at the top, and so just have to, it's really bad when you have to explain your graphics because just kind of, but it's supposed to be an egg, and, and it's the yes, idea of, of the cross, and it's, it's this new life. Like, we are born. Like, we are hatched in Christ. Like, we are made alive in Christ. And when we're alive, when we become alive in Christ, the love of God is poured into us, that we come out of that in a place that we love God and we love people because that's what new life does. Well, that's what he's kind of telling us here. And so he helps us understand, you know, that if you are not yet a follower of Jesus or if you are, this is how it works. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Believing in Jesus is what brings us into salvation. It's believing. And, and if you have believed upon Jesus, if you know him, then, 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 then that's what, what's going to be there for you. If you have that, that's what it would work there for you that he would draw you into that space of, of being able to do that, that he would draw you into that space where you believe in him, where you know him, where, where that would be a part of, of even how that takes place. So think that through with me just for a moment. Sometimes this is miscommunicated, and I think it's done um, honestly. I just don't think we always understand it. Sometimes we'll, you find somebody telling somebody about uh, being a Christian, uh, sometimes communicating to people, sometimes it's communicated to children this way, like, you just need to love God. You, you need to love God. That's the most important thing. Like, you just need to love Him so that you can be a Christian. But here's what the answer is. You can't love God. Nobody can love God. Nobody can create that love. And, that, and here it's not asking us to. It says if you're going to become a Christian, you get to become a Christian by believing in Jesus. That's what Jesus said, right? He said, you know, God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that whoever believes, that whoever has faith in him, it brings you into this brand new life in Jesus. And so the door opens through belief, not through love, because we actually can't do it in our own. We, we, we get it by believing in Christ, by accepting his work on our behalf, by believing in what he is. That causes us to be born of God. Now, if you're born of God, you will love God. Again, he kind of highlights that there, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God and everyone who loves him. And I pause there and just simply say, that's important. It's impossible to be a follower of Jesus, to actually be born again and not love God. Uh, it's really an important concept even in the midst of this, and I like this. Charles Spurgeon, when he was discussing it, said it this way. There is no exception to this rule. If a man loves not God, neither is he born of God. Show me a fire without heat, then show me regeneration that does not produce the love of God. It, it cannot happen. It cannot happen. Even outside of any scientific, somebody's like, well, actually, there's this fire. No, let's just not even go there. Here, understand this. You can't have it. Let this rule be solid. There is nobody who's like, well, I'm a Christian. I, just don't, I don't really love God. You know, I just, you know, come to church. I, I, I think I'm going to be, I want to go to heaven. And yeah, that's the end of my salvation. I'm not, you know, there are those emotional Christians that kind of get all this, you know, like, you know, I love God kind of thing. It's not really me. You know, it's not into that. I'm just saying, no. <laughs> if that's you this morning, then you're not his. Because he, God creates this in us. God works this in us so that everybody who becomes a follower of Jesus finds the love of God poured inside him, and that just begins to produce love. Love that we have for God, but also love that we have for his people. Or as it says it here, 
Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves him, who begot, who, who caused us to be born again, also loves him who is begotten of him. Everybody who, you know, now loves God also loves everybody else who's a Christian, everybody else who's begotten of God. We've now been brought into a family relationship where this becomes true. Now, I think about it. Jesus would say it this way. In one of the verses we've said over and over in 1 John, by this, all will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus said this would be one of the distinguishing marks of who you are, that my people, he says, are going to be marked in this world because they're going to have this unique Christian love. They're going to love each other, and that's how the world will know. That's how you'll know. That's how the world will know who you are. It's a defining mark of what we are because it flows out of this beginning relationship with God. Now, that's powerful. That's really powerful. So let's back up for a moment and think about it. So we have three main principles being presented to us this morning in the text. One of them is, again, that he loved us first. The second is that loving God and loving people are connected and the third is, again, this reality that it flows out of the very beginning of our life in Christ. Now, I like all of this, and I like the way it's even placed, but just for application this morning, let me flip them around and just say, well, let's begin at the beginning of where it is for us, and just say it this way. We're talking about some pretty incredible things here this morning. We're talking about this loving God and this loving uh, of God's people, and we're telling you that, that it must be so. That's the way it works, that anybody who is you know, inside this, that that's exactly how it works. And so here's what I need to say as clearly as God will help me to say it. If you don't have this, if you don't have this love inside of you, a love for God and, again, connected to the love of God's people, then you need to get saved. You, you, you need, because this is what he does. This is what no, new life looks like. This is what happens for everybody who gets to know Jesus. It's not just some of us, it's all of us. And again, this is one of the things that John has been pounding on all the way through First John, is that there are some people that come to church that think they're fine, but they're not fine. And, and they don't actually have a, a, a saving relationship with Jesus, and part of it because they haven't been born again. And they don't have the, the love of God taking place inside their life. Now, if that's you this morning, again, we don't say it to be mean. We say it to be hopeful. Like, if you get it, if you can go, oh, well, I kind of thought I was okay. <laughs> it was like, I, 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 thought, I thought I could do that. I thought that maybe, you know, that's who I am. And we have people like that, right? I mean, maybe in this room right now, that's you. You're like, well, you know... I want to go to heaven, and I think I love God. I just don't love God's people. You know, it's just like I don't, I'm not into that. I mean, there are some of you that are into it. Good for you, you extroverted people, whatever, but that's just not me. I just want to tell you, that cannot be. That cannot be. I mean, yeah, that could happen in this room. It's probably happening in this room. It might be happening online right now. Understand that there are some of you who are connecting, and we love being able to offer our services online. There's a lot of good reasons why at times you end up watching uh, from, from, from home or other spaces, either because you can't make your way out or you're not feeling well or all that. That's really, really a good thing. But here's what I want you to understand. There's somebody who's watching me right now, and you're watching online, and, and the reason you're watching online is because you figured out, hey, this is great. I could do church and not have to be around people. Like, I don't like people. You know, like, this is great. This is the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. Like, I didn't know that I could just come and watch church and I wouldn't have to talk to a soul. And you think this is a good thing. It's a terrible thing. If you have no connection to God's people, if you don't love God's people, you don't find yourself there just in the midst of that, you need to. And Jesus would say it this way. He says, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, you're never going to see the kingdom of God. Unless you are born again, unless there's this radical transformation that you are changed. And one of the things that happens is that the Holy Spirit pours inside of us, that the love of God pours inside of us so that we begin to have this genuine love. It's, it's, it's something that still needs to grow in. We'll talk about it in a moment, but it's genuinely there. I hope you feel it. I hope you come into it and, and you could gather even here at church on a Sunday morning and you might sit there and say, I don't know very many of these people. In fact, I haven't even talked to some of them. But the weird thing is if you're in Christ, you're just like, but I'm home. I, I love them. I don't even know them. I mean, in a weird way, I just find myself connected to God's people. You, you meet somebody, and, you're, and sometimes you can almost sense it. You know, you're like, 
you're a Christian, huh? Like, I mean, I just know it. I mean, there's just something happening, you know, here. I am a part of something that's genuine. That's beautiful. That's what God does. And nobody is a Christian that doesn't have this. So again, maybe that's you. It's good that it would be and that you would come and say, I need that. How do I get that? You're not going to get that by, by figure, just trying on your own. You're going to have to believe upon Jesus. Everybody who believes upon him, they get saved and they get born again. And we invite you into a born-again relationship with Jesus. We're just telling you that would be transformative. And one of the things that you would know, one of the ways that you would know that it actually happens is you would find yourself like, it's kind of weird. I now like, I think I love God. And I kind of like his people too in a weird way. I mean, I don't even know what happened in all of that. I don't even know how that happened. I mean, it wasn't something I did. It's something he did. Yeah, that's how this thing works. So it needs to begin there. And maybe that's you this morning. Maybe we've talked to you and said, okay, if you're a Christian, this is what it does. And so if you're not a Christian, you need to begin there. But if you are a follower of Jesus, well, I draw to you that second principle that we saw that in many ways we think about this idea where he's telling us that they go together. Loving God and loving God's people, you cannot separate them. You say you love God and you hate people, you're, you, you don't. You're lying, he says. So the challenge is for you and I is to let loving people be a gauge to how we're doing with God. Let the way that that works, again, be the gauge that would say, that, that's where I am. See, I'm thinking that there are some of you, if I sat down before you heard this message, and I asked you, like, so how are you and God doing? And you'd be like, it's doing pretty good. If said, okay, like, uh, uh, you know, if this is a speedometer, you know, between the gauge one to ten, where are you? Some would be like, I think it might be seven, you know, and like, uh, I think I might be, uh, you know, it's still a little growth room, but me and God, we're doing pretty good. And then I would ask you, so how are you doing in loving God's people? Well, <laughs> that more would be like a one, you know, that's kind of like, that's over here. I mean, I need to, need to work on that, but you know, me and God are fine. Then God's saying, actually, you lied to yourself. There's no, if you're a one in loving people, you're a one in loving God. Like, they go together. And, and, and the problem is that it's easier to lie to yourself about your relationship with God and think you're doing better than you are. It's really hard to lie to yourself about loving people. And there's a place like, okay, that's where I am. That, 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 that's pretty clear. I mean, he just kind of said, okay, these go there, and, and, and so this is how we know. I mean, this is what gives us this hope. That's what gives us this confidence. That's what does this. And so somehow that should be kind of changing the way we process this. But hear me clearly. So maybe you find yourself thinking, okay, darn it, I'm at a one. <laughs> like, that's where I am. Now I'm admitting it. So what are you going to do about it? Well, if you're hearing me wrongly, you're going to think, okay, I'm going to go out and be more loving. Fine. I will talk to somebody today, okay? I will actually meet somebody at church that I haven't met before. What do I have to do to kind of move this up a couple points, you know? I'm going to work harder at being loving, but here's what I've just told you. That's not God's love. You could manufacture or muscle something through, but that would be plastic. It's not the real deal. How do you get the real thing? Well, that's what he began with us. Hey, if you want this, we love because he first loved us. Our love, the way that we find love and be able to walk in God's love, is that he becomes the source of it. That it's, that, that it's Christ that we have. It's Christ that we dive into. And the more that we dive into him, the more that we know. The more we know his love, all of a sudden we become more loving. Not because we've muscled it, not because we've manufactured it, but because, you know, it's a really interesting thing. The more I know how much God loves me, I love God. And the more I know how much God loves me, I actually find myself loving people more, which is kind of a weird deal. It's like I have a really good day with Jesus, and then I come into church, and it's like, these people are so cool. Like, I, I didn't know I liked them. I think I like them now. You know, it's like, what, what actually happened? And then you have a bad day with Jesus. Like, it's not going really well, and you come into it, and you're like, man, these people are terrible. Like, everybody here is cold as a fish, and I don't even know why that, and I'm telling you, it really has a lot more to do with your relationship, that you're knowing Christ, you're diving into Christ. You're knowing Him. That if He's the source of genuine love, then He's what we need. That we'd look at this and say, well, I know what I need. I need more of Jesus. 
I need more to know the love of Christ. I need more of what he has. I mean, that's what he's drawing me to. I love that that's exactly what we need, and I want to hold it out to you. In fact, I'll do it in another way. I started quoting to you Charles Spurgeon earlier in one of his sermons that he preached on this passage. I thought he did a great job with a couple applications, and so I'll let him kind of lock that out to us. He says it this way. He says, yet we must not try to make ourselves love our Lord, but look to Christ's love first, for his love to us will beget in us love to him. He says, we must not make the mistake of thinking, okay, I'll try harder. You know, like I'm going to work harder at this whole day. He says, that's not the way you need. You need him. You need the more, because the more you know his love, it births the love of Christ in you. It, the more you know his love, all of a sudden, it's just genuinely flowing there. There's really good hope in this. He goes on to say it this way. He says, I know that some of you are greatly distressed because you cannot love Christ as much as you would like to do, and you keep fretting because it is so. Honest truth. Some of you are there right now, and you're honestly thinking, I know I'm supposed to love God. I, I, I know I should love God better. I, I keep trying. I, I want to love God more, and, and I just don't seem to be able to produce it. I, I don't seem to be able to make it happen, and so you find yourself feeling guilty and bad, and like, why can't I do this? There's something broken, and for somebody here this morning, you've actually quit trying. You've kind of just settled into like, you know, there are emotional people, and then there's me. You know, there are people that like, oh, I love God and other people, and then there's just me, and I don't have any of that, you know, and good for you, you go, you know, I'm glad you could do that, but I can't be that, and you've just settled into some place, like, that's just not me, like, that's just not, that's not what I, I'm a different type of person. That's a lie. If it was your love, that would be true, but if it's his love, if it's knowing the love of God that would produce inside you love for God and love for people, then it's possible. And maybe that possible is just a hope that I want to put before you right now. See, if you're here and you're like, well, I, I, don't, I don't, you know, Jim, I'm looking at that whole speedometer thing, and I'm, I've been at one for a long time. Like, and I've kind of wondered if that's just the kind of Christian, am, am I a, you know, that's as good as it can get for me? No. Yeah, God can produce all that he has for you in Christ. But maybe the problem is that you've been trying to do your Christian life. Maybe you've been living it out. Maybe you've been trying in your own strength, and you kind of thought that's what you were supposed to do, and now I said, I didn't ask you to do that. I wanted to pour the love of God inside of you. I wanted to make it so that you would do that. Spurgeon goes on to say, now just forget your own love to him and think of his great love to you. And then immediately, your love will come to something more like which you would like desire it to be. It's like, okay, this is kind of crazy. Like, I'm loving him, and, he's, and, I'm, and his love is happening in me, and yeah, that's how this works. It's a really beautiful thing. I mean, there's this amazing space that there is a sense that that's what we're needing. So here's again where my silly little graphic might help one person. And if that one person is that she's great. I just want you to think about it like a Wi-Fi signal. I want you to think about it. So if like, if you got like bad signal, you know, you don't like, I just gotta wave my phone around more. You know, like if I just, you know, wave my phone, it's like, no, it doesn't really, it might get worse, okay? It's like, you know, it's like, I need to get closer to the signal. You know, it's like, I, I don't have good signal. I need to get closer. I need to get, I need, I need to move just to, 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 ha to receive a stronger signal. Well, that's exactly what God is inviting you to. It's like, hey, come closer. Like, let, let my love pour into you and that'll work good in your life. Think about the passage we saw just a few moments ago. There in Ephesians, Paul's praying. He says, you're rooted and grounded in love. Has to be true. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have the love of God in you. There's no follower of Jesus that's like, nope, not me. I don't have any of that. No, you are rooted. You're grounded in the love of Christ. You cannot be a Christian without it. But that doesn't mean we have it perfectly. We're supposed to grow in it. So Paul prays. He says, I'm praying that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, length, depth, and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. It's like you just need to know it more. You need to know Christ's love. You need to know him better. You need to know what he is. And the more that you know him, he goes on to say, then you'll be filled with all the fullness of God. Knowing him, knowing his love, knowing the love of God in Christ is like, man, it will unpack for you everything that God has for you. 
It'll unpack for you the fullness of the life that God has for you in this beautiful relationship with him. And if you find it to be so, he goes on to say it this way, now to him who is able to do exceedingly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory. In the church, by Christ Jesus, to all generations forever and ever, amen. If you figure this out, if you begin to live your Christ this way, you'll be able to say, it's all him. It wasn't me. <laughs> it's not like, it's not like I was like, boy, I really have figured out how to do the Christian life well. You should do what I do. Like, I, I got the perfect works that will make it. No, it's like, I have figured out it's him. It's loving him. It's knowing him. So that I could be able to say, it is according to his power that's working in me. And if you could see it working, it's like, he gets all the glory. <laughs> he gets all the glory. Because whatever is good, he is doing in me. And it's the love of God that is changing me and making me one that loves God and loves people in a genuine and just authentic way that is absolutely beautiful. Yeah, that is what he is holding out to you this morning. He's just telling us again, again, we're talking about some of us who know Jesus and, and just inviting us to say, hey, this is how we move forward. This is how we grow. You know, Paul would talk about it in Philippians 3 in his own testimony, and he said, you know, brother, I, I don't consider myself to have apprehended, he says. He says, but one thing I do, I forget those things which are behind, and I'm pressing. I'm pressing after that which is ahead. I want to know him. I want to know him. It's as if he understood and says, I know what this looks like. I, I know where this goes. I know I, I found Jesus to be the most satisfying thing ever, he says earlier in the passage. And now I'm pursuing him because that becomes the very essence of life. So think about these three things for just a moment and then we'll land and close there. Pretty simple in some ways, incredibly profound in others. The only way to get into this is to have a born-again relationship with Jesus. If you don't have it, you don't have him. Because everybody who's born of God has the love of God poured into their lives. Maybe you need to begin there. But when it begins there, the love of God and the love of Christ, the, the, the love of, of, of the body of Christ, they move together, this loving God and loving people, so that you'd be able to look at the speedometer of your life and go, okay, I can see where I'm doing. I can see how it's working. And if you find yourself thinking, I'd like to grow. I've looked at this and find myself lacking. I, I don't love people as much as I ought to. Don't love God's people as much. I don't love God as much as I ought to. Then I need to know Christ more. I need to love of Christ more. I need to dive into the love of God and let that change me from the inside out. And that's exactly what God does, which is so incredibly good. So you can close your Bibles, your notebooks, and we're just going to take a moment and pray for this. And again, maybe it's you. Maybe it's you in that first part. This is a good space. If you recognize you're not his, as we give you a quiet moment, we just invite you now. Surrender. Surrender your life to Jesus. In this moment of prayer, just cry out to him that he would be the one that would save. But many of you this morning, you're his. But honestly... If you've heard God this morning, it might have uncovered something, a lie that you have been lying to yourself, that you're doing better than you really are, that you think, well, I love God, I just don't like God's people. You know, I just, not a big fan, you know, kind of deal. It's like, no, you, you, then you don't. But you can. But the can is because he first loved us. It's his love that produces true love. So maybe that's where you are. And you find yourself thinking, okay, Jesus, I need more of you. That's what I need. I, I need to be enveloped in the love of Christ. I need to dive into the love of Christ. I need to pray. I need to seek this. I need to pursue just to know that and, and be wonderfully, eternally, radically transformed. So, Maybe that's you this morning. Just, just admit that and ask him for that. Wherever that's landed for you, we just invite you to pray for it. So again, a quiet moment. I'm going to pray. I'm hoping you'll pray. And we'll just get, have some music playing in the background. And then in just a moment, we'll close in worship. But right now, let's just talk to him, each one of us, about what he's talked to us about.
God, thank you that you have loved us first. Thank you that that love sent Jesus to die on the cross, to be the propitiation for our sin. God, for any that are outside of that right now that recognize they don't have this, they don't have the love of God inside their lives, help them to see it right now, and I pray that they would believe that you draw them to life in Christ, that you would cause them to be born again. Old things would pass away, all things would become new, and the love of God by the power of the Spirit would be poured out into them. God, I pray for these that need that and that you would work that. God, then I bring those of us who are yours, and you know where we are. These things move together, and and maybe that all by itself becomes one of the most sobering of realities, a place that we can honestly admit, I think I've been lying to myself. thought I was doing better than I'm doing, because we recognize that loving you and loving your people, they go hand in hand. One goes with the other. Lord, we find ourselves short. May we find what we need right now which is not more trying, not more striving, but more abiding, that you would draw us into Christ, that you draw us to know the love of God. And I pray, even as Paul prayed it there in Ephesians, that you would cause us to comprehend with all the saints that the love of God that's in Christ, its width, its depth, its length, its height, which is beyond us. But you would help us to dive into it more to be more overwhelmed by it, more empowered by it, so that it would bring us into the fullness of the life of God in Christ. God, do that in us. Thank you that you do. Help us to know that. Help us to pursue you for your good work. We ask for it together right now. And we ask for that in Jesus' name. Amen.